0: and stuff that I'm going to share maybe a little bit of it, but um, look, I saw my dad this morning, and um, I hadn't planned on doing this, so I'm going to take the, the brunt of the kind of the laugh, but there was a time, and I'll, I'm going to share a story. My grandma had passed away, and we were at the memorial service, the, the funeral, and um, a bunch of different, we have, at that time, Uncle Don was ministering, and there's pastors, and my cousin Mark was a pastor, and they're all sharing different things. And my dad came up to, I think, to do the eulogy or, or share something. And, and he, how many have seen the movie Braveheart? Yeah. Remember when he just lets out this, freedom, right? My dad comes up, and it's, we're at a memorial service. And he lets out, Victory! And I thought he lost it. Actually, I knew he'd lost it. Um, there, there was a lot of other people at that point that knew he had lost it. It was the truth and it was proper. And I want to share a little why I really thought he'd lost it. Because if we go back in that story, um, my grandmother was in the hospital and this was a long drawn out thing. We, I think we went three or four times probably to goodbye. goodbyes. They would say, She's not going to make it. We're taking everything off. You just better come and say goodbye. And we'd, we'd do that and she'd keep living. So then they would tell us, that, Okay. So this went on a long time. And we were, you know, we knew where she was going. She knew where she was going. So it was, it was Lord, it would be good. Now, in the process of that, one of the incidents, um, my uncle had taken my grandfather, who was probably 82 or 83 maybe at that time, 84, up to see my grandma. And he, he didn't walk real good. He had a cane, and, and um, his knees were shot. So as he was getting out to go across the car, he went across the front of the car. My uncle somehow thought he put it in drive. He drove over my grandpa in the parking lot of the hospital to visit my grandma, who's dying, and then instead of he freaked out, jumped and drove back over him. So, <laughs> Easter Sunday, praise the Lord. So... I'm telling, telling some great stories here. So I got a phone call from my mom who was flipped out, completely flipped out. My uncle had flipped out, lost his mind. I hear my, grandpa in the, my uncle in the background saying, I've killed your grandpa. Oh, my God. And my mom's going, you need to get here quick. Like, this is not good. You need to show up. So it gets better. <laughs> it gets better. So much better. I can say ain't no grave going to hold this body down. I'll just tell you that. So get ready. So, we go through all of that um, and and survive and recover. And it's time to bury Grandma at the cemetery here in Jackson. And I was one of her pole bearers. And I happened to be positioned on the the front left, the right side of the casket, my left. And there was a bunch of us. And they decided to park the limousine or the the hearse a godforsaken amount of distance. (laughs) It was not. It was dumb. And, and my dad did t- say, this is dumb. You guys should not. Do, you need to. Pr-. They didn't listen. And I have a bunch of cousins. And as we were getting closer to the gravesite, it's heavy. And they began to, I don't know if you ever, something starts getting heavy. People start moving with a f- little quicker pace. <laughs> and it started. Anyways, I was being driven <laughs> onto the corner of a casket. Driven on, you know, the, you know, the little guard things they put up around the thing that says like, Don't step here. (laughs) They're there for a reason. I can tell you that. So as the casket is coming at a very quick pace, I had to make a decision at one point of, do I drop grandma? Or do I try to step across this thing that I'm being driven into? Well, I didn't drop grandma. Well, I kind of dropped grandma. I stepped on that. And guess what? Oof. Ain't no grave going to hold this body down. If you had been there, and at that time I worked underground construction, and I was a lot trimmer, and I was used to coming in and out of ditches a lot. I worked in underground. All I know is I had this thought of my grandma, who I love extremely a lot, but I, didn't want, I thought my grandma would probably come down on top of me inside the bottom of that hole that did not seem like a good idea. So all I know is they said it looked like there was a trampoline at the bottom, because when I came down, all I know is I grabbed the top and took a step, and up I came, and I, had, I heard, Jesus! <laughs> My grandpa's trying to get a hold of me, and I just want to be left alone. I'm like, just, just let me process what just happened. <laughs> I didn't share any of that with the first service. You guys got the good story. Let me tell you. But think of the victory. So then, yeah, that's the whole point. So then all of that happens, right? The memorial. My my dad. Victory! (laughs) And it was like, oh, my Lord. This is the craziest thing ever. But I'll tell you what, that's victory. Victory. Death cannot hold us. Jesus conquered death, hell, and the grave. Amen. And uh, there's no grave going to hold this body down. I can, I can say that. I, not many of you can say that you've been literally in the grave <laughs> and come out. And, oh, praise the Lord. What did that have to do with it? Well, victory had to do with it. Our title of the message is victory. Um, I had a bunch of really cool facts and things I was going to share with you, but you get the cool story instead. <laughs> I sure, I'm going to share just a couple of things, though, about the, I was, as I was preparing, I was really thinking, at least my generation and probably definitely below, um, with the way school and everything is taught and the, the things that we learn now, it's, it's almost as the resurrection is kind of a fable, that that we look at it as a story, that it's, goes along with the Easter bunny. It goes along with, you know, all these different things. And um, I just wanted to bring some, some thought process into the power of the resurrection and, and the reality of the resurrection. Um, it was witnessed by people. It wasn't a story that was told after everyone that was around died. Okay. So this happened and there was living testimony, which means people that were alive witnessed it and they shared it and they told it all over the place. So it wasn't like, like there wasn't anyone to refute the testimony. There was no two groups of people who wanted Jesus to stay in that tomb more than the Jewish religious people, the Pharisees or the Sadducees, and the Roman government. The Roman government did not want an uprising. The Jews did not want Jesus to be their Messiah. They wanted to keep him in. The soldiers, Roman soldiers, were trained that if they were on watch and anyone fell asleep on watch, it was known that they would take the clothes from the soldier, whoever fell asleep, and they would use his clothes. They'd strip him down, use his clothes to build a fire, and they would roast him till he died. Rome was really about pumping and fear and power. So as, a Rome, as, a, as the soldiers who were protecting the grave, they didn't fall asleep. That's one of the thoughts. Well, maybe the soldiers fell asleep. No. If they didn't know which one fell asleep, They would cast lots amongst them to see who was going to be burned alive. A little bit of a motivation, right? Is that a good motivator to stay awake? (laughs) Extremely. So the Roman soldiers didn't didn't fall asleep. There was a seal placed around it, which meant if you broke the seal, you violated Rome. The payment for violating Rome is crucifixion. And they crucified thousands and thousands of people down the streets to inflict fear that you don't mess with Rome. So when Rome seals somebody and wants them in a grave, guess what? They stay there. The Jewish religious system did not want Jesus out of that grave. But guess what? He came up out of that grave. There was some of the evidences and people, they say the the best evidence, if you're looking at evidence, is people who would be critics of the proof, which means Jewish historians who did not want Jesus out of that grave recorded like josephus and many many others that jesus resurrected this is a fact it was stated as fact it's historical there was the the enemies of him when when your enemies actually like who do not want you to be around or when the enemies show up to court and they're like i can't stand the guy but he's telling the truth it really happened that's the best proof you need right it's one thing for like people who love you and we'll say well yeah the apostles and them they, they love jesus so they wanted to they wanted to perpetuate that story well let's look at them They were cowardly, went running, had nothing to do with it, and then he resurrects, and now all of a sudden they're bold and they're sticking around Jerusalem telling everybody that he's alive and resurrected. They didn't go to other countries and start this rumor. They stayed right there where it could have been refuted, where they could have said, no, he didn't. Here's his body, right? Don't you think if Jesus hadn't resurrected the Roman government or the Jews would have drug him all through the streets all over and said, no, he's not. He's right here. Here he is. They couldn't do it because he resurrected. He's alive. We look at the, 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 the type of men. You look at Saul, who was the biggest persecutor of the church. He hated Christ. He hated Christians. He hunted them down until what happened? Until the resurrected Christ came in contact with Saul. And then what happened to him? He became the biggest cheerleader in the history of the resurrected Christ there's been. He, he had an encounter with a resurrected Christ just like I have had, just like you have had. There's thousands and millions of people since Christ's death that had an encounter with a resurrected Christ, and he's still having encounters today. We have two brothers who I, th- I think this is awesome. The two brothers of Jesus, just two of them, that when Jesus was alive, had nothing to do with them. They did not believe he was the son of God. They didn't believe he was anything special. They believed he was their half-brother. And then what happens? All of a sudden, they become these converts who are the pillars of the church, who write books in in the Bible. How did that happen? They must have encountered a resurrected brother. What else had happened? Because they seen Jesus doing miracles. they seen Jesus doing all this stuff, and they didn't believe. But what caused them to believe? When your brother's dead and comes back to life, you're a believer. And the church and all these people that had these accounts, these 500, Paul speaks of 500 people, gives testimony in Corinthians that were still alive. When you give testimony and say, you can ask these 500 people and you name them and they're still alive, you're pretty confident that you came in contact with somebody. Amen. That's pretty good testimony. And these two Brothers that were still alive that encountered a resurrected Christ that said, I know for a fact, like, this is, this is impossible. These people, these people went to deaths. They went to extremely horrible deaths and would not recant that he did not resurrect. All they had to do, the, the disciples were fearful and ran for their lives until they seen him resurrected. And from that point on, it changed them. They, John saw, went into a grave and saw a pile of grave clothes. And from that point forward was never the same. They knew he resurrected, they went to their death with it. And there's still Christians today who have had those encounters that are being persecuted around the world and they're not recanting because they've encountered a risen Savior, a victoriously risen Savior. Amen? Amen? Amen. Time is measured by it. Time is measured by the resurrection, by Christ. In school now, it's not called B.C. and A.D. It's it's not before Christ. It's called before common era. That's what's taught. It's before common era. Isn't that convenient? That means there's no more in the year of our Lord. But I would challenge anyone that's, that's a student, anytime you hear a history teacher, anyone say before common era, I would correct them. Say, actually, history teacher history professor, real history would be called before Christ. That's history. Why are we changing history? You can't change the fact that he resurrected. Time's measured by it. That's a beautiful thing. Yeah, we're not using those. So I'm going to read something now that I was going to use. Um, I started looking at the odds, and this, this really blew my mind. Tommy will appreciate this. Tommy would understand, actually, the language I'm going to speak. <laughs> I kind of understand a little bit. Um, so this is, I'm going to say, this is Jesus being victorious over the odds. So bear with me. I'm going to read for a little bit. It might be a little boring, but it will get exciting after about two or three minutes. According to the Hebrew requirement, what a prophecy must have, a prophecy must have 100% rate of accuracy. The true Messiah of Israel must fulfill them all or else he is not the Messiah. So the question that either vindicates Jesus or makes him culpable for the world's greatest hoax is, did he fit and fulfill these Old Testament prophecies? Let's look at two of the specific prophecies about the Messiah in the Old Testament. Here's two. You, O Bethlehem, are only a small village in Judah, yet a ruler of Israel will come from you, one whose origins are from the distant past. That's Micah 5.2 here's another one. The Lord himself will choose a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. God is with us. Isaiah 7, 14. Now, before considering the 59 prophecies, you have to stop and ask yourself, how many people in the category of of potential Messiahs throughout history were born of a virgin in the town of Bethlehem? Well, let's see. There's my neighbor, George, but well, no, no, never mind. He was born in Brooklyn. Um, in the case of 61 detailed prophecies being fulfilled by one person, we are talking about virtually impossible odds. When forensic scientists discover a DNA profile match, the odds are having the wrong person is frequently less than one in seven billion. That's something for our deviants to keep in mind. It would seem we are in the same neighborhood of odds and numbers of zeros in considering a single individual fulfilling these prophecies professor of mathematics, Peter Stoner, this is where it gets good, gave 600 students a math probability problem that would determine the odds for one person fulfilling eight specific prophecies. This is not the same as flipping a coin eight times in a row and getting heads each time. First, the students calculated the odds of one person fulfilling all the conditions of one specific prophecy, such as being betrayed by a friend for 30 pieces of silver, Then the students did their best to estimate the odds for all of the eight prophecies combined. Now remember, we're just talking about eight. The students calculated that the odds against one person fulfilling all eight prophecies are astronomical. Listen to this. One in ten to the twenty-first power. So that's one in ten with twenty-one zeros after it. Is that right? One in ten with twenty-one zeros after it for eight prophecies. Now if the one, that, that doesn't mean a whole lot. What I'm about to tell you is you're really going to mess with your head. It did with mine. So the students calculated the, or one to the 20, 10 to the 21st power. To illustrate that number, Stoner gave the following examples. First, blanket the entire earth landmass with silver dollars, 120 feet high. Second, specially mark one of those dollars and randomly bury it. third, ask a person to travel the earth and select the marked dollar while blindfolded (laughs) from the trillions of other dollars. That's the odds of Jesus fulfilling eight prophecies. People can do some pretty squishy things with numbers, especially with the last name like that. Stoner. So it's important to note that stoners work was reviewed by the American Scientific Association. <laughs> That's pretty funny. The mathematical analysis is based upon principles of probability, which are thoroughly sound, said uh, and Professor Stoner has applied these principles in a proper and convincing way. With that as an introduction, let's add six more predictions to the two we've already considered, giving us a total of Professor Stoner's eight. And there's, he lists some more prophecies, I'm not going to list them. The eight prophecies we've reviewed about the Messiah were written by men from different times and places between about 500 and 1,000 years before Jesus was born. Think about that. All these came from different people from different times, different places. Thus, there was no opportunity for collusion among them. There There was no collusion. There was no collusion. There was no collusion. I'm not being, yeah, I kind of am a little bit. (laughs) Bible scholars tell us that nearly 300 references, listen to this, 300 references to 61 specific prophecies of the Messiah were fulfilled by Jesus Christ. The odds, this, this is crazy, the odds against one person fulfilling that many prophecies would be beyond all mathematical possibility. It could never happen. No matter how much time was allotted. One mathematician's estimate of those impossible odds is one chance in a trillion, 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 trillion. I'm saying victory over the odds, right? That's victory over the odds. That's victory. That's crazy victory. I mean, we don't have to, which we, we receive these things by faith, but you don't have to be a knucklehead to receive the fact that Jesus resurrected. That there was no one else that could have done it. There was no, he was the Messiah that resurrected. And if you have any more questions on that, I've got a whole bunch of stuff you can read. Um, I I didn't, it's a lot, and I didn't read that all to you, so you can see me afterwards. But I want to share and kind of transfer into What I felt the Lord really put on my heart for our message of victory this morning, of Jesus resurrecting, and bear with me, it's not going to be a traditional message. It's going to be how this victoriously risen Savior, how it affects us, and how we become victoriously risen and victoriously resurrected, and what it looks like today as a Christian. Is that all right? And we're going to look at those scriptures, and we're going to look at the Word, Um. One of the things about victory when I was studying this out is is on Palm Sunday, they brought out the palms. And palms, um, the the Jewish people in the culture understood palms to represent victory, for one, because a palm out in the desert was overcoming. It overcame the desert. It overcame the the harshness. It overcame the fact it's still alive and green in the middle of a desert. So they associated palm branches with victory. Also, in Scripture, palms were a celebratory symbol that God the Victorious One tabernacles with humanity. That God the Victorious One tabernacles with humanity. And they would, they would do the temp, the, um, celebrate the Feast of Booths, and they would take palm branches and build these booths out of the palm branches. And the palm branches were used in the Feast of Booths, a one-week celebration of freedom from slavery and captivity out of Egypt. Now, that's important because Jesus came in, and they brought the palm branches and, and celebrate victory, right? Now listen to what Jesus, what I'm seeing, the, the correlation of the Feast of Booths and what Jesus did. During that time, there was palm branches, there were shouts of rejoicing, and a new Feast of Booths is what I'm seeing. Leviticus 23, 29 says that on the eighth day of the, the feast and the celebration of Booths, that day shall be a solemn rest. Now listen to this. Christ rose victorious from the grave, securing eternal rest from sin and death for his people. That would have been the eighth day on the Jewish calendar. Securing eternal rest. Victoriously securing eternal rest from what? From death, hell, sin, and the grave. Victoriously. He gave us rest in that. There's first point that I'm going to make in our message today, we're going to kind of transfer into, we're going to start in John chapter 1. And then we're going to be in Romans chapter 5, so you can look for it as I'm sharing. The first point, if you're taking notes, is our relationship with the first Adam is automatic. Our relationship with the second Adam is voluntary. See, we don't have a choice when we're born into this world. We reach the age of accountability. Guess what? We're in sin. We have our father, Adam, has, has brought us in it. We don't have to learn how to sin. We know how to sin. It's in our nature. We've received that. DNA from Father Adam, okay? We, we good with that? So you don't have a choice of that. However, you have a great choice. And the second Adam, who is Jesus. Your relationship with him is voluntary. You have a choice. You have a big choice in this. You don't have to take my word for it. We're going to read John 1.1. 1, 1. And I'm reading today out of the Passion Translation. Some of you don't like it. Um, that's okay. I do. So we're going to read out of it. Um, It explains it very well. And if there's any questions about the verbiage or we can look, I've looked at the Greek. I've looked at it and it's it's what we're what we're sharing is solid. Uh, John chapter one, verse one says in the very beginning. You know, I like that that John is saying in the very beginning because he's correlating Genesis one. How does Genesis one start in the beginning? God created the heavens and the earth. Right now, that is there because it's the start of time. In the beginning, time starts there. John is saying, in the very beginning, in the beginning before time. Okay? The living expression, or that we would know the, the word, the word, the living word, which is the living expression of God, was already there. And the word, the living expression, was with God, yet fully God. They were together face to face in the very beginning. And through his creative inspiration, this living word, this living expression made all things. For nothing has existence apart from him. Now life came into being because of him. For his life is light for who? All humanity. There's some who would preach and teach that that Jesus' light is for some. That he is pre-chosen and predetermined. Who is going to receive the light and who's not going to receive the light? That's a, fair, that's a false truth. That is not the truth. And I can just keep reading and you're going to see the truth. It's for all humanity. That word means all. And humanity sounds like us, right? All of us. And this living expression is the light that bursts through gloom. Praise the Lord. That light, that darkness could not diminish. It's the light that darkness could not diminish or comprehend. Then suddenly a man appeared who was sent from God, a messenger named John, which was fulfilling a prophecy. For he came to be a witness to the point, to point the way to the light of life and to help who? Everyone believe. John was not the light, but he came to show who is. For he was merely a messenger to speak the truth about the light. For the light of truth was about to come into the world and shine upon everyone. Praise the Lord. He entered into the very world he created, yet the world was unaware. He came to the very people he created, to those who should have recognized him. But what happened? They did not receive him. You know what that means? It means the light, who was Jesus, came into the world and conquered the darkness. And the darkness could not comprehend it or diminish it. But guess what? Those who he came for, Did not receive the light. Means they had a choice. They chose to not receive the light. Everyone had that choice. That light's come to everyone. That light has come into the world. And every single person on the planet has been exposed by the light. And we have the choice to accept the light. Or to reject the light. Everyone. I can prove it. We'll, We'll just keep reading. Verse 12, but those who embraced him and took hold of his name were given authority to become the children of God. Those who embraced him, those when the light came, they said, I want that. I need that. Isn't that what you did? Is that what many people have done? They, they, the light came and they didn't reject it. They received it. The light's for everyone, but we have the power to accept it or to reject it. We get to make the choice. And that is setting us up for something in the future. If you turn with me to Romans chapter 5. We're going to start in verse... Let's start in... uh, We'll we'll go to 12. I don't know how much time we're going to have. We're going to start in Romans 5, 12. we there? All right. So going back to these Adam's. When Adam sinned, the entire world was affected. Sin entered human experience and death was the result. And so death followed this sin, casting its shadow over all humanity because all have sinned. Sin was in the world before Moses gave the written law. But it was not charged against them where no law existed. Yet death reigned. I got to stop there. What did you guys learn in government and economics like I learned? There's two things. You can't escape. Death and taxes, right? That's what I, I learned. I forgot a lot about government economics, but I never forgot that. So death was this king that was established that no one, no one, no one got away from. It says yet death reigned as king from Adam to Moses, even though they hadn't broken a command the way Adam had, the first man. Adam was a picture of the Messiah who was to come. I love this. Now there is no comparison between Adam's transgression and the gracious gift that we experience. For the magnitude of the gift far outweighs the crime. It's true that many died because of one man's transgressions. But how much greater will God's grace and his gracious gift of acceptance overflow to many because what one man, Jesus the Messiah, did for us. And this free-flowing gift imparts to us much more than what was given to us through the one who sinned. For because of one transgression, we are all facing a death sentence with a verdict of guilty. But this gracious gift leaves us free from our many failures. Thank you, Lord. And brings us into the perfect righteousness of God. Acquitted with the words, not guilty. Death once held us in its grip, and by the blunder of one man, death reigned as king over humanity. But now, how much more are we held in the grip of grace and continue reigning as kings in life, enjoying our regal freedom through the gift of perfect righteousness in the one and only Jesus, the Messiah? In other words... Just as condemnation came upon all people through one transgression, so through one righteous act of Jesus' sacrifice, the perfect righteousness that makes us right with God and leads us to a victorious life is now available to all. One man's disobedience opened the door for all humanity to become sinners. So also, one man's obedience opened the door for many To be made perfectly right with God and acceptable to Him. So then the law was introduced into God's plan to bring the reality of human sinfulness out of hiding. And yet, wherever sin increased, there was more than enough of God's grace to triumph all the more. And just as sin reigned through death, so also this sin conquering grace will reign as king throughout righteousness imparting eternal life through Jesus our Lord and Messiah. Amen. Second point, there's no comparison between Adam's sin and loss and the gracious gift we receive through Christ's victory. There's no comparison. It's not even close. When I was studying this out, we, we come to this word grace, and a lot of people have misused it and They call it, oh, that slippery slope of grace, that this, that. Uh, I I just want to share the words that Paul uses here. In verse 17, see, we we get this this amazing gift of grace. And if we truly begin to understand what it really looks like, it'll mess us up in a great way. See, verse 17 says, Death once held us in its grip. By the blunder of one man, death reigned as king over humanity. But now how much more are we held in the grip of grace? Now that grace means super abundant. We are held in the grip of super abundant grace. That doesn't sound weak. Super abundant. That means there's a lot of it. Right? A lot. A lot. Super a lot. Right? I like it a lot. We go on to verse 21. And it says, and just as sin reigned through death, so also this sin-conquering grace will reign as king through righteousness. This is another word. And this word I like even more. It is hooper parissio. Hooper sounds like the word hyper. It is. So Paul says, this grace, this sin-conquering grace is, we could translate it, super hyper abundant grace. This messed with me all week. Now, when I think of super hyper, it's usually not good. (laughs) I think of like, you drank a lot of rockstar. Way, way, way too much rock star. Has anyone ever seen someone that you would consider their hyper? Okay, so imagine this super abundant grace that is hyper. I look at that like can't sit still. Like, so think about you commit a sin or you're about to commit a sin, and there's this super hyper grace. It's just like. I'm gonna jump on that. Like, oh, 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 they didn't. Oh, where's he, where's he going? Where's he going? Where's he going? Where's he going? I got you. Super hyper abundant grace. This is some crazy grace, right? Hyper grace is crazy. Like, it ain't normal. Ain't nothing normal about hyper. Like, this grace is super abundant and hyper. It's on steroids, like, going. It don't slow down that's the kind of grace i need this kind of grace it's like so awesome god knew we would need it and he knew i would need it and it's so valuable that we don't use it carelessly it's not something that you just paul goes on to say which you'll say well that's awesome so does that mean we we got this super hyper grace that's abundant we just continue in sin no that would be stupid that's what Paul says. So I, I look at things like, every, all of us like things. I like motorcycles. So I would think, what if I had this, I got this like 1956 Panhead that was like a little bit chopped up and not crazy. But it was built, it was beautiful, chrome everywhere. I wouldn't just jump on it and be like, you know, there's a hill climb in Hollister. I think we should see if it how well it hill climbs. Oh, you know, there's mud bog. I'm gonna go mud bog that '56 Panhead, and see how much mud and crap I can get all over it, and see how scratched up I can get it. But you know what the cool thing with Super Hyper Grace is? Is if you drove through the mud, Super Hyper Grace runs after it, and as you're riding it, it's cleaning it up and puffing it and polishing it. It's going. It's okay. I got this. You did something stupid but it's there. It's boom, boom, dents out, polished. Super hyper abundant grace. It's awesome. This is what Jesus did for us. He conquered death, hell, sin, and the grave. And he's given us this abundant grace. And it's not a free ticket to go just run amok. But you love this grace. You cherish this grace because it keeps you righteous right before God. It keeps you shining like there was never a scratch right before God. It's super hyper abundant. And if you do, it's there. Oh, 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 no, false alarm. Oh, I got you next time. It's there. You got that picture? Okay. Is it hot or just me? Good Lord. It's a little warm, just saying. Point three we're traveling good. Praise the Lord. Point three is because of his victory, we are victorious over sin and death. We need to understand this. I've been preaching this for a while. I do this because I believe it. We are victorious over sin and death. It's about time the church wakes up to this. We're victorious over sin and death. You don't get to just say, oh, well, I can't help it. You know, it's how, what's really stupid is when you say, it's how God made me. No, it's not how God made you. You chose. You made some choices. Praise God, we have a super victorious Savior who teaches us how to be victorious over sin. Amen? He gives us grace, praise God, but he also teaches us how to be victorious. Because he was victorious. Because he died, we share in that death, right? Like, is that what baptism represents? When I got saved and he came into my life, that light came and I was like, I need that light. I'm tired of this old Adam. I need the light. And I accepted it and received it. This supernatural abundant grace came. And then this victorious power, this resurrection power came up inside of me and it comes up inside of you. The word says the same power that raised Christ from the grave resides in you. If it's not there so that you can resist some stuff, what's it there for? So you can talk about it? It's there so you can be conqueror. Resurrection is conquering power. So you conquer some things in your life through his power. That death, you go under the water. But you don't stay there. You come out resurrected. That's what it represents. Now, Romans 6 through 1 through 14. This is about the triumph of grace over over sin. This is awesome. So what do we do then? Do we persist in sin so that God's kindness and grace will increase? What a terrible thought. Right? That's a dumb thought. We have died to sin once and for all as a dead man passes away from this life. So how could we live under sin's rule a moment longer? Or have you forgotten that all of us who were immersed into its union with Jesus, the anointed one? We were, we've been immersed into union with Jesus Christ, the anointed one. We immersed into union with his death. <coughs> sharing in his death by our baptism means that we were co-buried and entombed with him. So that when the Father's glory raised Christ from the dead we were also raised with him. We have been co-resurrected with him so that we could be empowered to walk in the freshness of new life. Resurrected so that we're empowered to walk in freshness of new life. For since we are permanently grafted into him to experience a death like his, then we are permanently grafted into him to experience a resurrection like his. And the new life that it imparts. Could it be any clearer that our former identity, which was the old man, which was Adam, is now and forever deprived of its power? For we were co-crucified with him to dismantle the stronghold of sin within us, so so that we would not continue to live one moment longer submitted to sin's power. Obviously, a dead person is incapable of sinning, (laughs) that's very true. (laughs) And if we were co-crucified with the anointed one, we know that we will also share in the fullness of this life. And we know that since the anointed one has been raised from the dead to die no more, his resurrection life has vanquished death and its power over him is finished. For by his sacrifice, he died to sin's power once and for all. But he now lives continuously for the Father's pleasure. So let it be the same way with you. Since you are now joined with him, you must continually view yourselves as dead and unresponsive to sin's appeal. While living daily for God's pleasure in union with Jesus, the anointed one. Now listen, I love this part. Verse 12, sin is a dethroned monarch. Sin is a dethroned monarch. Now, I started studying a little bit, not to get too crazy, but I do go on rabbit trails when I study. And I started looking up dethroned monarchs. Holy smokes. When they dethrone monarchs, like we look at history in England's history, it's crazy. They are viciously cruel. They don't mess around when they want to take over. They, they do some torture. They kill some people like dead, dead. They, they, they don't mess around. So when I was looking at that, I'm like, wow, sin is a dethroned monarch. I got excited about that. Jesus handled it. You know what I'm saying? Like, he took care of business. He handled it. Sin's a dethroned monarch. So you must no longer give it an opportunity to rule over your life. Do you see your responsibility in that? My responsibility in that? You no longer have to give it an opportunity to rule over your life. Controlling how you live. And compelling you to obey its desires and cravings. Doesn't that sound like sin? Compelling you. Driving you. You don't have to allow that. It says, so then refuse to answer its call. To surrender your body as a tool for wickedness. Refuse to answer its call. Instead, passionately answer God's call. To keep yielding your body to him as one who has now experienced resurrection life. You live now for his pleasure. Ready to be used for His noble purposes. Remember this: sin will not conquer you, for God already has. You are not governed by law, but governed by the reign of grace of the grace of God. That is awesome. Third point. Was it me? Because of His victory, we are victorious over sin and death. Because of His victory. We are victorious over sin and death. Because of his victory, we are victorious over sin and death. See, ain't no grave going to hold this body down. Ain't no sin going to keep me back from attaining what, Christ is, what he's called forth in my life. It's not going to do it. It doesn't have the power. Sin's a dethroned monarch. Now, how, that sounds good, right? Now, how are we going to do it? I've been you sitting there. Sounds good, pastor. But here's the truth. Let's look at the truth. As a result of our union with Christ, sin's power is broken. That's verse 5 and 6. Because of our union with Christ. So that means if, if sin's power isn't broken in my life, in Steve Dennison's life, it's because there's probably a problem with the union. A union's a connection where you're supposed to be grafted in. Amen? I can tell you one person who it's not his problem. Jesus is victorious over sin and death, so it's not on his side. There's two parts to a union. Every single time I'll tell you whose problem it isn't. Next point, sin is not destroyed but robbed of its power. See, it's not that it's not there. It's been robbed of its power. Sin's been robbed of its power in your life. If you have surrendered your life to him, if you have died with him and resurrected with him, the sin's power in your life has been broken. How do I know that? Let's look at verse seven. The one who's born again is commanded to take his stand on this verse. On verse seven, it says this: "He who is dead is freed from sin." This is truth. He who is dead is freed from sin. Remember, it said in that new, it says a dead man cannot sin. I've never seen a dead man sin. I've seen a bunch of living men sin, right? That's why Paul said, I died when? Daily. Every single one of us have to die daily. This this isn't like you all are sinners. We all got to die daily. We all have to consider this flesh dead. We must reconcile that we've died and resurrected. There's a new resurrected power in us, and it's a conquering power. So you got to stand on verse 7, that he who is dead is free from sin. See, death breaks all ties and cancels all obligations. Think about that. All the obligations of your life, whatever the obligations are, all the things you're worried about, all the stuff that you got to do when you get home, or the jobs that you have to perform, or the time you have to put into, or the study that has to happen, or the money that's owed, all it's all done when you die. There's no more obligations. There's no obligation once you're dead, Right? There's a freedom in that. Yeah. Think about that. There's a freedom in that. It's like, sorry about your luck. I owed you a million bucks. I'm gone. Sorry about your luck. All that work I had to get done. Don't got to do it now. There's a freedom in death. Sorry about your luck. I hear you calling. I don't have to pick up. <laughs> right? See, By his union with Christ, the Christian dies to the old self and is free from it, even as the law has no jurisdiction over a dead man, regardless of the crime. See, you could do all the crimes you want and then get in a high speed chase and run 120 miles an hour into a brick wall and die. Guess what? There's no fine to pay, there's no time to serve. You're free. i want to talk about sin power one more time. The only power that can cause the believer to sin now is his or her power of choice. <laughs> There's no other power that can cause you to sin because sin's power has been broken in our lives. We must, we must stand on that as a Christian. You've got to own that. You've got to walk in that for yourself. Don't, don't try to walk in it for someone else. Walk in that for you. And I can tell you, I hold myself to that standard. I'm, I'm not telling you I'm perfect. But I tell you this, I expect to, for sin's power to be broken in my life. I don't, you'll never hear me say, I had to. You'll hear me say, I chose to, and I paid the consequence. I chose to, and it was stupid. I wish that I hadn't. It was here. I wasn't born that way. Because I've been reborn. I have a new nature. I have a new daddy. Amen. It's not Adam. It's Jesus. And he broke the power of sin in my life. I have new DNA. But I do have the power of choice. And just like salvation came, you didn't have a choice in Adam, but you have a choice in Christ. To those who received him, he gave the authority to be called the sons and daughters of God. See, as a believer, we can sin, but we don't have to. That's the truth we need to understand. We can, we don't have to. Now, I'm going to show you how that works and what it can look like. And, and this translation brought this to me. I never saw it this way before, but I'm, I believe you'll never forget it. I'm going to play this out. I'm going to try to do it like I did the first time. It was pretty good. Holy Spirit helped me out a lot. So there's a, a, a verse that's talked about not answering the call. It says, so then refuse to answer the call, Right? How many, how many of you are like me, have a phone that you carry with you all, the, all over the place? How many of you get phone calls that are like telemarketers or it's some robocall or it's a scam call or it's, it's just something and you, you fell for it, right? Hello? And then it's someone trying to scam you out of something. It's someone trying to take from you. They're, at least they're taking your time. Good Lord. And, there, and you, after you recognize the number, you realize it's all bad intentions on this side of the line, right? So you have the ability, the next time you go, hmm, I recognize that number. Do I want to answer that call? What do most of us do? Out of area number, go away, make it disappear, slide it, smash it. Right? Whatever you got to do, don't answer it. It's now they're clever. Right? Devil's clever too. Let's use a new number. Let's come in in this avenue. Let's. So then you go, oh, I recognize that. Oh, got me again. And you know what? It's going off all this information. And you're trying to be kind and not be rude and just be rude. Hang up. Cause they ain't gonna give you an opportunity, and pretty soon it starts, you start going, "Well, that kind of sounds good. Oh, oh, well, this is this is a great opportunity. I could be a millionaire in five minutes. <laughs> Why wouldn't I want to do this? Oh, okay, right? You start getting lured away, and then and then they hook you, and then you go, "Oh, dang it! <laughs> and then you're on the watch, right? Every time that phone's ring, you're like, "Mm mm. You have the power to not answer the call. You have the power to not answer the call. If we could take a phone and look at it and go, You know, that's bit me before. I don't think I want to answer that. And you have the power to reject it. You have the power when sin calls to say, I recognize that number. I remember what happened last time I answered that call. It was all bad. I'm going to reject that call. That's what this is saying. The word saying, you have that power. You know what's really, really darn awesome is you have a word, which is like a telephone directory. And if you're not sure, you can go, hmm, here's the number. Well, they said it. Well, let me see. Nope. That's the wrong number. Nope. I don't recognize that information. Nope. Not going to do it. That's powerful. You have the, it's within your choice to pick up or reject it. Am I telling the truth? So there's no excuse. See, we serve a victorious King who paid and conquered the price of sin, death, hell, and the grave. And we have the opportunity to accept it or reject it. There's no one else's fault. I don't, I'm not belittling things that's happened in your past because they've happened in mine too. But we're adults. You come to a point that you accept the truth. You let the light of Christ come into your life. And it's for everyone and all. And you accept it or you reject it. And you're all going to stand just like me before him one day and give an account. For what did we do with the light? What did we do with the truth? Because he came to bring it. Because he was the truth. And he knew that the truth sets us free. Amen? 1 Corinthians 15, 55-57, I love this, says, So death, tell me, where's your victory? Isn't that awesome? So death, tell me, where's your victory? Tell me, death, where's your sting? See, if if you are a believer, you can talk to death, hell, and the grave, and sin just like that where's your victory, death? You got no hold on me. Where's your victory, sin? I see you. Nah, I'm rejecting it. I'm not answering that call. I've done it before. And you know what's so awesome? That super hyper abundant grace that if you're a knucklehead like me, that sometimes is like, well, maybe it's different this time. <laughs> it just like ah, jumps all over you and drops the call. It's like, don't do that again. I, I, I won't. I promise. He keeps it simple for us. And it's not complicated. Jesus did it all. He conquered it. He resurrected and gave us resurrection life. Isn't it wild? The same power that raised him from the grave lives in us. And for us to not say like, well, I can't resist that. I can't help that. Well, I've had, I've been, I've had this pain for 40 years and I'm, I can't stop. Stop it. You have resurrection power inside of you. Believe the truth. Well, I got hurt. Yeah. So is many of us. I had a bad relationship. I understand that. But there's resurrection power inside of you. It's not, it's, you can't stay there. That grace won't leave you there. It's going to jump all over you, encourage you to get up. It's going to wipe you off and dust you off. But you have a choice in it. You can come to the light or you can stay in the dark. You can walk in the light as he's in the light and have fellowship with him and you're going to be restored. It's not possible not to. You can't walk with Jesus and not and be blind and not see. You're going to see. You can't walk with Jesus and be the same. It's not possible. You can't be a Christian and not be resurrected. It's not possible. You can't be a Christian and not be free. Not for long. You surrender. He's going to take every part of you. And he's going to unlock it. But you have a choice to hold on to it or to let go of it. Tell me, where's your victory? Death? Death, where's your sting? It is sin that gives death its sting and the law that gives sin its power. But we thank God for giving us the victory as conquerors through our Lord Jesus, the anointed one. Jesus told Martha, you don't have to wait until then. I am the resurrection and I am life eternal. Anyone who clings to me in faith, even though he dies, will live forever. And the one who lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? You guys can put the music on. I'm closing. Resurrection is superior to life. Life can be defeated and ended, but resurrection overcomes. Life is the power to exist. This is powerful right here. Life is the power to exist, but resurrection is the power to conquer all. Even death. See, life is, is just to exist. That's not life. That's not what Christ has intended your life to be, to just exist. I'm just existing. I'm just, I'm just here. No, resurrection life is a conquering life. Resurrection life is a conquering life. It conquers things. It takes abuse, and it conquers it. It takes hurt, and it gets healed. It takes shame, and it makes you free. It takes the guilt and it gets rid of it and and you walk in freedom and you have a pride in who you are in the Lord. That's what resurrection does. It conquers. It doesn't stay down. It doesn't matter that you got knocked on your butt. You get back up because there's resurrection life in you. You refuse to stay down. That's what resurrection life looks like. Not saying that the Lord's not sympathetic to what's happened in your life. He is, but he expects you because he's your father, not your grandfather. Daddies make you get up. Daddies say, come on, boy, you can do this. Come on, son. You got my DNA in you. You got resurrection power inside of you. You got resurrection life inside of you. Get up. Life is the power to exist, but resurrection is the power to conquer all, even death itself. We as believers must learn to live in Christ, our life, but also Christ, our resurrection. To conquer all things. Please stand to your feet. We thank you, Jesus, for victoriously conquering sin and death. We thank you for conquering it. We thank you for resurrecting out of the grave. For giving us the hope of resurrection in us. We thank you, Jesus, for your word. I thank you for taking my sin and shame and going to the cross And paying it in in full. And you said, it is finished. We thank you for saying it is finished to the power of sin and death in the grave in our lives. We thank you for being free from it. We reject Adam and we take on Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for a new life, for resurrection power in our life. Lord, that overcomes all the darkness, overcomes all the hurt, overcomes all the pain, overcomes all the lies. We thank you, Jesus, for conquering all of those things and giving us victorious life. Those under the sound of my voice, if, if every head could be bowed, if, if you do not have that overcoming resurrection life inside of you and you want that light, then just slip your hand up. Raise your hand with me. We're not going to tarry long. Today is your day. Today's the day of salvation, of resurrection, power, and life. I see you. You're not promised tomorrow. This is the day. Today is the day of salvation. Maybe there's some who have, you've said I'm powerless to this thing. It's got a grip on me, Pastor Steve. I've struggled and struggled and struggled and and it hasn't let go. I can't. I can't quit. I can't stop. I'm powerless. I would encourage you to reject that lie and stick your hand up and and say, I'm going to align myself with the truth that there's resurrection power inside of me that the same power that raised Christ from the dead resides in me, and I'm going to be free in the name of Jesus. If that's you, raise your hand. All around the room. The same power that raised Christ from the grave resides in you. Do not believe the lie any longer. You are not powerless. You have received power to overcome, to be a conqueror. You're more than a conqueror. In Christ Reject the darkness. Don't answer that phone call any longer. The Lord is going to show you very, very plainly what that number is, and you have the power to reject it. Father, right now, everyone under the sound of my voice, I pray, Lord, that that truth would come alive. Lord, that you would shine your light on that phone call. Lord, on that thought that we would see it as a a telecommunicator, as a phone number that's a scam. Lord, that we would reject it as quick as we do the natural. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would just break the power of, of addiction. Lord, break the power of addiction in this place right now. Addiction from pornography be broken in the name of Jesus. Addiction from drugs, addiction from legal prescription drugs be broken in the name of Jesus. Lord, addiction from need, to from, to from being spoken things over, for people being need to hear compliments and all those things, break that in the name of Jesus. Lord, I break the power of fear in the name of Jesus. Fear be broken in the name of Jesus. Do not answer that call any longer. Then when you answer it, answer it with the word of God, the truth. Whatever it is that's been ailing you, you go to the word and answer it with the truth. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for giving us victory. Lord, we thank you for, Lord, I pray, Lord, for over healing in bodies. Lord, the lies of the injury. Lord, that we we're just stuck that way. I break that line in the name of Jesus. We thank you for your resurrection power. I speak power and healing over this body. In the name of Jesus. Hope come alive. In the name of Jesus. Hope come alive. I rebuke depression and anxiety in the name of Jesus. Hope come alive in the name of Jesus. I declare hope in this house. I declare when people walk into this building that hope will rise. Faith will rise in the name of Jesus. I rebuke fear and doubt in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for resurrection power. We thank you, Jesus, for resurrecting Showing us how to be resurrected. Showing us how to walk in newness of life. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you for carrying all of our guilt and shame. We thank you, Jesus. We honor you going forward, Jesus. We honor you by walking in the light. We honor that resurrection by being resurrected. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to dismiss you shortly. If if, if you have a, a desire and a need that, that you say, I, I believe, but help my doubt. And you and you want someone to pray with you and, and, and agree with you to, to be broke, to have something break, to have that fear or that lie of addiction or whatever it might be, you can come forward up to the altar when I dismiss. And we'll, we'll have some some folks here and I'll pray with you. And we'll agree and believe that you're going to be healed, that you'll be restored. If you have never encountered the freedom of what salvation and a resurrected life looks like, please come forward. I'd love to share Jesus with you. I'd love for you to be free, and he'd love for you to be free. So I'm going to dismiss you guys. I'm going to just pray a blessing. Lord, bless this body as they travel, Lord, and and spend time with their families for Easter. Lord, I pray, Lord, that that if we're around family members, Lord, who are lost, that you would give us the boldness to, to, to proclaim the truth and the life. In Jesus' name, amen.